Hey friends, you're listening to the Student Ministry Sermon Podcast from First Christian Church. Our hope is that these words bless you, lead you closer to Jesus, and help you follow Him more faithfully. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. But we're starting a new series tonight and for the rest of this year called Sunday School Throwbacks. And so if you grew up in church or if you were kind of affiliated with church in your younger years, you might remember kids' ministry on Sunday. You might have spent a lot of time in this room right here in yeah. 1056 with Mr. B. You might have had animal crackers. You might have had Pop-Tarts. You might have had tails, You might have had Duck Duck Goose. And so this whole series is Sunday School Throwback. And we're going to be unpacking three of the most popular Sunday School stories for us and, and kind of looking at them with a new, fresh set of eyes. Because we all know the story of Noah and the Flood. We all know the story of Moses. We all know the story of Jonah. But here's the deal. We're going to tell the stories that you know, but maybe with a few things that you did not know along the way. Some of the things they don't tell you way back in Sunday school. But this whole series is going to be full of animal crackers and dumb games and veggie tales. So if that's not your cup of tea, sorry. That's what we're doing here. But I want to start off by watching a story via video, and it's a story of this guy named Noah. And you might remember something like this from your time back in kids' ministry. So Tech Booth, show us. Stories of the Bible. Noah and the Flood. This is Noah. Hey! Noah was a good man who tried to do the right thing. Yeah! But in the time when Noah lived, he was the only man on earth who was doing the right thing. All the other people on earth were doing evil things and hurting each other. This made God very sad. So God said that he was going to send a flood to the earth that would destroy every living thing on earth because he was sorry he ever made them. But God decided to save Noah and his family. God told Noah to build a boat and fill it with two of every kind of animal and bird. Colors, bird, moth, okay, all here. Noah did just that, and then Noah and his whole family boarded the boat and waited for the flood to come. The rain fell hard for 40 days and 40 nights. Water covered the whole earth, and the boat floated safely on the surface. Water covered even the highest mountains on earth, but Noah and his family were saved. God remembered Noah and all the animals on the boat. God sent a wind to blow across the earth, and the flood began to go away. After five months, the boat came to rest on a mountaintop. A few months later, the other mountains could be seen. Forty days later, Noah opened a window and released a raven. The bird flew back and forth until the flood had dried up. He also sent a dove out to see if it could find dry ground. But the dove couldn't find a place to land because there was still water on the ground. So the dove returned to the boat. Oh, hello again. After another seven days, Noah sent the dove out again. This time, it came back with an olive leaf. Oh, that girl! So Noah knew that the floodwaters were almost gone. A week later, he sent the dove out again, and it didn't come back. 
So many months after the flood began, Noah opened the covering of the boat and saw that the ground was drying. He waited two more months, and at last, the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, Leave the boat, all of you. Release the animals so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. Okay! So Noah, his family, and all the animals finally left the boat. See ya! Noah built an altar to the Lord to make a sacrifice to God. God was pleased with Noah's offering and said to himself that he would never again destroy every living thing on earth. God blessed Noah and his sons and promised them that he would never send another flood. He gave them the rainbow in the sky as a sign of this promise to Noah, his family, and all of mankind. As you probably remember it, right? There's rainbows, there's boats, there's there's animals that go two by two into the ark. And it's a classic story. Like it's it's from like the early days of kindergarten of of kids ministry. You probably remember that story being told in some way or another. But I want to just pause for one second and ask, did you ever think about what that would have actually been like in real life? Like, could you imagine that I get up in front of you guys tonight and I say to you, people, God told me to build a giant boat because he's going to flood the earth and everyone's going to die. And so I'm going to start building a boat. But the thing is, we're not here. You and I are on the other side of the mountains over in the, va- the Central Valley, like where there's no water around for miles and miles and miles and miles, right? Because Noah actually didn't live near the ocean. He lived in a place which is modern day, there's a picture of it, it's a desert. Um, it's like modern day Iraq. This is where Noah lived. That's not actually like his house or anything, but that's the general area in, in which Noah was given this story. So could you imagine being Noah and God says, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, I need you to build a boat because I'm going to flood the whole world. And Noah looks around and he's like, bro, really? Like, really? It hasn't rained here in 17 years. You're going to flood the whole earth, right? No, of course not. Right? And then here is the, the crazy part about this. So he's over in the Middle East and God says, hey, I need you to build this boat to protect all of uh, your family and the wildlife and to make sure that after the flood recedes that we can have life again. Not only that, was it built in the middle of the desert, this boat wasn't built with any of our modern day construction techniques. And, and the estimates that, it's, that are put together is that this boat, boat took 75 years to build. So like, that means you could start today, if you are 15, and when you turn 90, the boat's done. Right? Or you could have started as a baby, and when you're 75, the boat's done. It's crazy. 75 years to build a boat in the middle of the desert like that. God actually um, told Noah a lot earlier that he was going to flood the earth. Back in that day, uh, people lived to be about 800 or 900 years old. It's kind of a crazy thing. 
but that is kind of what human lifespan was. There was a point in the future that God said, you know what? The longer people live, the more evil they get. So I'm going to shorten their lives to just be a cool 75, 80 years. But back then, Noah, I don't know how old he was, but God said, listen, about 120 years, I'm going to flood the earth, start building this boat. So it takes those 75 years to actually build this boat. And here's the crazy part on top of all that. This boat was built with no engines, no sails, no nothing. This boat wasn't made to go anywhere. It was just made to float. And here's what it actually might have looked like. Here's a, a modern day representation based on the dimensions given to us in scripture. About 500 feet long, a good amount of feet wide. It had three stories in the middle of it and a little bit of a deck on top. But you can see there's no sail, there's no engine, there's no nothing because God was going to flood the whole earth and so when you do that, there's no destination to get to, right? You don't need an engine to get you from point A to point B. There is no point B. So this boat was built just to float in the middle of the ocean for 40 days and 40 nights. And I can't help but wonder, was there any point in the process where Noah stopped and said, this is ridiculous. What am I, I'm in the middle of the desert. I've been doing this for 50 years, and I've got 25 more to go. Like, could you imagine how long it's gonna take one guy to build a boat like that? Like, it doesn't just happen overnight. Um, I got 15 more years to go. This boat doesn't have any engine, and I'm supposed to fill it with all these animals. What on earth am I doing? Right? That's the part you don't talk about in Sunday school. Like, that, that Noah was just like, oh yeah, come on animals, let's go into our boat. No, we're in the desert. This boat does nothing but float, and I gotta find all these animals from around the world. I don't know how they're gonna get here, but hold up. There's so much more to this story. But yet, Noah builds the boat. Have you ever thought, was there a point when Noah thought, this is ridiculous? Have you ever been in church or been in a youth group and you thought, man, this is ridiculous? Or has God ever asked you to do something through his word that you just think is ridiculous? Maybe something that I've preached on, that someone else has preached on, that you've heard on something online or in the Bible, but one way or another you've heard the word of God and you're like, that's ridiculous. I don't, I I've been there more times than I, can, than I can count. As you read some of the stuff in this Bible, there's some stuff that God asks us to do that just seems downright ridiculous. You know, there's this, there's this section of Scripture that talks about it's how, why it's important to give 10% or at least 10% of everything we have to God. So our money and our time and, and our energy to give it to God and to give it to Him before we give it to anyone else. To get up early in the morning, the first 10% of our day is to study in His Word and to be with Him. And you think, man, that's ridiculous. Why would I do that? I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to get up early. I got to get up earlier for school. I'm like, no, not a chance. I'm giving more time to read this dusty old book. Or to worship, right? Maybe you've seen people worshiping in a setting like this or in church. You're like, what are they doing? That's ridiculous. I don't want to sing in front of people. Maybe some people don't want you to sing in front of them either. I mean, maybe you're like, you've got a bad voice. I mean, I can't judge you because I'm one of those people. But there's some things that we do in the church that just sometimes seem ridiculous. And maybe it's not something that you've experienced here, but maybe it's a piece of your life in another area that you feel like the Bible is trying to speak to, but it just seems too ridiculous. Like... To forgive someone when they don't deserve it. Or for you to say, 
I'm sorry, even though you know you're right. To walk away from gossip, to walk away from drama, to say no when your girlfriend or boyfriend is kind of pressing on you, trying to like, hey, let's, let's take it to the next level physically in our relationship. To say no when there's drugs or alcohol around. To be kind to our parents. To stand up for the kid that no one else is standing up for. But you know if you do it, it's going to cost you some reputation. It's going to cost you people laughing at you and making fun of you because now you're that guy, you're that girl that sticks up for the kid that no one else likes. To do the thing that you know is right, even when everyone else is celebrating what's wrong. There's lots of times in my life, in this book, in this church, where I feel like what God has asked me to do seems a little ridiculous. Or maybe what God has asked you to do seems a little ridiculous. And sometimes it makes no sense. Why would I forgive that person? They didn't say they're sorry. Why would I forgive that person? Then they're going to think they can just do it again next time. Why would I forgive that person? They don't matter to me anymore. Why would I let go of my anger? It feels better to be angry than to be vulnerable and tell this person how I really feel. And the Bible continually pushes back against some of those things. It says, no, it is... It is to follow Jesus means to forgive and to invest in people and to, to build a bridge and to seek relationship and to put others before ourselves and to do all of these things, right? And it's not a list of right and wrong. It's like we talked about in the last series. It's kind of like God's instruction manual saying like, listen, I want the best life for you. And if you're not willing to do what's in here, like you can do your own thing, but it's not going to be what God's best is for you. Sometimes things in this book make no sense. Just like building a boat in the desert. Sometimes things in this book make no sense. Just like building a boat for 75 years. Just like building a boat that had no engines and no sail. Sometimes things in this book just make no sense. What's interesting to me about the, the design of the boat, which, can you guys throw that picture of the boat back up on the screen for a second? What's interesting to me about the design of this boat um, is that modern day oil tankers and really big ships are actually the same proportion, length to width to depth, of Noah's Ark. It may not be the exact same size, but um, they're the same proportion, so if you, they're, uh, I don't know how to really describe that. You guys know what proportions are, yeah? Okay, cool. They're the same proportions. So if you make the boat bigger, it scales up in all different, on all the axes. So that boat, the reason modern day oil tankers and big ships are the same dimensions, uh, the same proportions as this boat, even though they might look a little different, is because this is the most sturdy design of, that you can have for a boat. There is no sturdier boat. So there's no boat that is less likely to flip or to roll over or to, to break in half or to sink. This is the safest and sturdiest boat design that there is. So if you put a thing like that out in the ocean, it's like a tank, like nothing's sinking it. What's interesting to me is that God gave in Noah instructions 
for the most sturdy design in order to protect Noah from what was to come. And if Noah had cut corners and just done half of what God has done, it wouldn't have worked out quite the same, right? You spend 40 days and the whole world is an ocean and there's no safe place to go and you're in the storms and the wind and the waves. If you don't have the most sturdy boat design that there is carrying all of that weight and all those animals, you have a bigger chance of things going wrong. But since God said this is the way to do it, Noah did it, even if it didn't make sense and even if it took 75 years. And Noah's obedience to the things that God had said saved his family and the entire human race, and not to mention all of the animals that are around us. And here's what I think that means for us. That God gives us instructions for life. And it's not to be like big mean old God preventing us from having fun or doing the things we want to do or making us good little church kids. No, right? God gives us instructions in this book. And what we believe is that the word of God is the most sturdy design for life, right? It is the most sturdy design that the things that God has said in here are what's best for you and are what's best for me. And God said it. And we have the chance to do it, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it takes 75 years. And here's the thing that really stuck out to me. I've always thought that it was interesting that the time it took Noah to build the boat is the average length of a human life in today's world. In other words, it took Noah 75 years to build that boat Average human lifespan today is, you know, globally is about, maybe it's a little less than that, but it's right around 75 years old. Interesting that God would give us an example in Noah of what it means to follow him for a lifetime, to be faithful for a lifetime, for 75 years, to just be obedient. Even if we have questions, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's like building a boat in the desert, even if it's like building a boat with no propulsion, even if it's like building a boat for a very, very, very long time. God gives us an example of what it means to follow him for a lifetime. Because his word says that what we do in obedience to God will benefit us, will bless us, and will take care of other, people's around, other people around us. And I want you to, if you have something to remember this with or write this down, this is an important one. The greatest blessings in our life, the greatest blessings that God gives us will often happen after the most radical obedience to Him. The greatest blessings that God gives us will often happen after the most radical obedience to Him. The greatest blessing that happened in Noah's life was that him and his whole family were spared and saved because of his obedience to do what God asked him to do, even if it made no sense. That was the most radical obedience you could probably think of to build a boat in the desert for 75 years, right? But Noah did it, and because of it, his life and his family were all saved. It was the greatest blessing as the rest of the world perished. God may be asking you to do something you don't want to do. God may be asking you to forgive someone that you don't want to forgive. God may be asking you to let go of anger that you've been holding on to for a very long time. God may be asking you to keep your pants on with your boyfriend or girlfriend. 
God may be asking you to say no the next time you're invited to that party or to that friend group where you know, you know you're going to make stupid choices and you're like, it's, but it's fun. And you're like, well, I'm going to do stupid things, right? God may be asking you to stand up for that kid that you can probably picture in your mind that everyone else seems to pick on. And you know it's going to cost you friends, you know it's going to cost you a reputation, but you're going to do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. God may be asking you to do something radical, to follow Him. Do something that you don't want to do. That doesn't make any sense. But I'll tell you what, friends. When we are obedient to do what God is asking us to do, blessings always follow. We don't do the right thing to get the blessing. We do the right thing because we know it's the right thing to do. But when we do the right thing, man, God rewards that obedience and says, yes, thank you for being faithful. This is the way I intended you to live. This is what's good for life. And when it's good for life, then it's going to be good not only for you, but it's going to be good for other people around you. And God's going to use that to reach more people for Him, to, to bring more lives that are hopeless to find some hope to bring some healing to some brokenness, to bring joy where there was sadness, to bring laughter where there was weeping. Man, God will do all these incredible things if we will just show up and say, yes, God, I'll follow what you're saying. All throughout Scripture, there's a tie between obedience and blessing. Not only for yourself, but for others around you. So my question is, I'm not here to say what your boat in the desert moment is because that's different for the hundred some people in this group. It's different for each and every one of us. But I know that you know what I'm talking about. And I know that right now when I say where is God calling you to do the uncomfortable thing, to do the thing you don't want to do, to do the thing that doesn't make sense but you know it's what you're supposed to do, it's the right thing to do, I know you know what I'm talking about. And I know you can picture the person or the situation or the idea that's just been plaguing you. And you don't want to forgive. And you don't want to say I'm sorry. And you don't want to let that whatever happen. But the greatest blessings often happen after the most radical obedience. And sometimes God will call you to build a boat in the desert. When it makes no sense. When it seems like there's got to be another way. God says, no, my way is the way. Will you trust it? So, if God's asking you to go build a literal boat in a literal desert, by all means, go for it. I don't think that's true of anyone in this group. But if God is calling you and you know it, it's been on your mind, in the back of your head, in the back of your heart for the past few days, weeks, months. And you know God's calling you to do something that you don't want to do. It doesn't make any sense. Why do I got to do that? But you know it's the right thing. And you know it's the good thing. Here is God's confirmation in your life to follow through and do it. It may not turn out the way you want it to turn out. It may not turn out the way you think it's going to turn out. It may not fix everything. And in fact, it might make things worse. But I trust that the Holy Spirit is working in all of our lives all of the time and that He can bring those moments, those people, those instances, those boat in the desert moments to our minds right now that we know we've got to show up and just be obedient to what God's asked us to do.
And friends, I want to tell you as we finish tonight's message that Jesus was right there with you. The Bible says that when he, the night before he was to be crucified, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he, he begged God. He said, God, I know what's about to happen. I know I'm about to be tortured and murdered for the sins of this world, die the most painful death ever invented. And Jesus says, God, I don't want to do it. The Bible says that, that Jesus prayed that God would remove him from having to do that. So Jesus, not wanting to go to the cross, prays that God would, don't, don't, don't make me do this, God. I don't want to do this. And you've probably thought, man, I don't want to forgive that person. I want to be angry. I don't, I don't want to do things the right way with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't want to say no to that friend group. I don't want to go. I want to go to the party. I want to do the thing. Man, we all got things that we, we, we don't want to do. And Jesus is right there with us. Like He's like, man, I don't want to do this, God. But he says something important. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, then, in following God's call on his life, his boat in the desert moment goes to the cross, and it gets worse for him. There's pain, there's suffering, there's bloodshed, there's death. But because Jesus was obedient all the way to death on the cross, when he raised up from the dead, he opened eternal life to you and to me. And Jesus' obedience to God then is what allows us to be blessed now and to have eternal life now. Jesus is right there with you. He knows there's things that God's asking you to do that you don't want to do. But he's asking us to say, God, never I don't want to do this, but nevertheless, God, not my will, but yours be done. So God, I'll go build that boat in the desert, even though I don't want to. I'll forgive that person, even though I don't want to. I'll do what you ask me to do, even if I don't want to, because I know that on the other end, you'll use it for good. Friends, do you trust it? Do you trust that? At the end of the day, I can't make that decision for for you. Only you can make that decision for yourself. But I hope and pray that you know that God's best for your life and for mine is found in here, and that this book is trustworthy if we would only follow it all the way to building a boat in the desert. Father, I thank you for this night. I thank you for your word. I pray that any of my word that was just thrown in, that you would just help us to forget, and any of your word that uh, is important and is helpful and is correcting and will point us in the right direction, God, I pray, I pray, I pray we would remember. Father, we all have those boat in the desert moments. There's things you're asking us to do that we don't want to do. We know it's the right thing. We know it's the hard thing. We know it's going to cost us something. We know it's going to cost us a friendship or a relationship. But God, help us to want you more than we want anything or anyone else. And like Noah, be faithful to doing the ridiculous thing that you ask us to do, even when it makes no sense. Like building a boat in the desert. God, we love you. Praise in your name. Amen.